alcoholic. I still have an ornery streak in me. What I was going to do for those of you who came late because of the hockey game, I was going to, and I did, I'm losing by evil streak, it's just my ornery streak. But what I was going to do is program everybody to say, and you remember when I talked Friday night and gave you the secret to sobriety, and you go, oh, and the ones that weren't here would be going, <laughs> but I don't do that anymore. I'm far beyond that. But uh, <laughs> I want to thank Don for being here. I, you know, a people tape all over the country, and so you know, speakers don't have a real relationship with tapers. They just tape our talk, and, and uh, a lot of people, oh, they're making money off AA. Well, if you saw their expenses, believe me, you would have another idea about that. But. There was a time, I mean, I've been taped so long, I remember when it was reel to reel. And every once in a while, you, you, every once in a while, tape would break and you hear, and you stop. My favorite one, though, is when they went to cassettes and they didn't have auto reverse. The taper would stand right in front of you and go. And you'd stop, and they'd turn over the tape, hit it, and go. And my honorary streak was that too, I'd say. And that, my friends, is the secret to life and sobriety. <laughs> and I could see him in the car go, what the heck? We just get off. <laughs> <But, laughs> But I really appreciate it. And there was a while I got really annoyed because every there used to be they'd ask permission because legally they're supposed to have my permission to do that. And here they do ask, by the way. And... Um, but they just, it seemed to me that we were being taken for granted and people were just taping us at their will. And I was getting a little annoyed by it, to be quite honest with you. And in 1988, I moved back to Iowa after a series of bad breaks and misunderstandings financially. And uh, I got back to Iowa and I'd just gone through a terrible divorce, just a nasty divorce. And at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, I started getting calls, five right in a row. And I'd get on and nobody'd say anything. Well, my keen alcoholic mind told me who it was. And about the fifth time, I grabbed that phone and said, Who is this? And a little voice said, Is this Ed M. that talks in AA? And I said, Yeah, yeah, who's this? And she told me her name. And she said, I'm five years sober. I was sitting here with a gun in my lap, and I just heard you talk. Can you talk to me? And I said, Of course, honey, I'll talk to you. However long we need to talk, I'll talk to you. And uh, from that moment to this, I celebrate what they do. You know, tape it, do it, give it away, whatever. You know, whatever. Uh, I'm just pleased. And, you know, I tell that story from time to time. And last year in Melbourne, Florida, I was telling that story. And like I say, I tell it rarely. And in the reception line afterwards, uh, a lady came up to me and said, Ed, I want to thank you for that night. I'm that moment. And, you know, all that time later, 88 to 2005. So... So I support what they do, and they have a ministry, in my opinion, that literally saves lives. When I was here at Toronto at the International, some of you may not know it, uh, but those name cards looked an awful lot like tape labels and CD labels. They had right here. And people would come by, and they'd talk to my badge. They'd go, you're at M. You're from, I've heard your tape. And they'd be talking right here, and I'd be looking... Butch, Butch from Barry was sitting right here cracking up. They'd be talking away to my badge, but you really helped me. I really, it's really nice meeting you. So, so it does, it does do wonderful things, and it does, uh, does do one, and not that I'm a wonderful thing, but the spirit of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon, and in my opinion, the spirit of God carries through the help that's needed in those tapes. I know what I was before I came here, and I was absolutely nothing because I didn't know how to be anything but that. This morning we're going to talk about, uh, and, and throughout the day, we're going to talk about spiritual maturity and emotional maturity through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, or the 12 steps, however you want to look at it. I'm going to make a suggestion to you, though. How many here are brand new to recovery within the first year? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. How many are uh, over uh, five years? Okay, very good. Uh, those of you newly sober, within the first five years, you really need to concentrate on, on alcohol and whatever else you were doing. Uh, 
And, and I kind of direct, I direct it to everybody because I believe it's important information because I never got the information. That step one is about every area of my life. It says alcohol, but the longer you're sober, if you're like me, it really needs to be any area of your life. I said it last night and I will say it again, that whatever area of your life you're not applying this program, it's going to kill you sooner or later. I cannot tell you the number of funerals I've gone to of good AA members, good Al-Anon members that didn't get it's a life thing, not a situation thing. And I buried them. Gambling, sex, pornography, stealing. You know, I promise you this, that the disease is alive and well unless you're addressing every area of your life. And if you have a disease like I have a disease, and I believe what the book calls it a spiritual disease, you know that's the only time disease is mentioned in the big book? It's referred to as a spiritual disease. They also say something in the big book that's just fascinating. There's a little uh, sentence in there, I'll let you find it. Uh, it says, when the, mental, when the spiritual malady is addressed, the mental and physical take care of themselves. Now, wait a minute. This is saying if I address the spiritual first, everything else will work out. You know, I did it just the opposite. I thought, well, when I get to feeling a little better, when I, my head clears up, I'll talk about that God stuff. And it says in there, just the opposite. And a lot of us uh, don't even want to look at the God situation because we've been our own little God, and we don't know if we want to give it up yet. Now, what do I mean by that? Oh, I know better. How do we say that? We say it in so many different ways. Oh, you don't understand. My case is different. <laughs> That's right. Clancy says it best. He said, if there's ever a flag for Alcoholics Anonymous, it should be simply be a flag that says, but you don't understand. My case is different. <laughs> All of us, isn't it funny? All of us think we're so terminal unique, and the truth is we are. But the problem is, we all look at it in the wrong way. That somehow this can apply. Step one can apply. After all, what is powerless? That doesn't mean I'll be able to control it. It means you're powerless. You ever been in a power outage? Powerless. <laughs> you can wish light on all day long. <laughs> you can be mad and indignant about it. And it's, you're still going to be powerless. Isn't it the same with our lives and our addiction? I, uh, I use a Bible that I enjoy, and believe me, I'm not trying to convert anybody, but this book, the Life Recovery Bible, is one of the best 12-step. Uh, uh, it's got the steps and meditations all through it, and the serenity prayer, step 10 meditation. All the notes at the bottom are footnotes to recovery, and it's generic recovery. Uh, their first step, in which I'm going to use this morning, is we're powerless over our life situations and our lives have become unmanageable. Now, what does that mean? It means everything. You know that person you just can't stand at work? You're powerless. And if you're spending a lot of time hating them, your life is unmanageable. It means on the freeway. When you're telling that person they're number one, <laughs> or they're telling you you're number one, powerless. How about breathing? How much power you got over that? We think we're so powerful and so mighty. Who keeps your heart beating? Who starts you breathing? Started you breathing? Going to keep you breathing till you stop? We're powerless over that, too, aren't we? To a good degree. Powerless means have no effective response. Out of our control. How many of us said, oh yeah, I want to get sober, but geez, meeting every day? Sounds like a little extreme to me. You know? Is that admitting powerless? No. That's admitting there might be a little problem. Might be a little problem, but I can take care of it. Trust me, I can take care of it. You know. 
uh, going to get help. Don't need to. Don't need to. No, no, a lot of people just don't understand the way I operate. I operate a little differently than others, you know. And here's my favorite one. You know, I've been blessed with a brilliant mind. People can appreciate my creativeness. No, they, they call it insanity. That's what they call it. And once I get sober, guess what? I found my brilliance and my genius, just as you will. But what I found before was insanity. And the insanity was I could control everything and I'll do it as I see fit. Step one for me is the finest ideas I could come up with made me a miserable failure every single time, especially where drinking was concerned. Other areas there was mild success, but even that mild success had to be affected by the failure. My best thinking got me drunk time and time again, got me crazy sober time and time again, got me hating time and time again. And my life was unmanageable. What do I mean unmanageable? It means simply that. It means simply that there are simple things we can do, like we can set an alarm to get up. But what do you do if there's power outage again? You're probably going to oversleep unless, like me, I wake up with or without alarm clock. Thank you, God. But I still set my alarm clock just in case. Just in case. Unmanageable. Uh, how long have we spent trying to manage? How long have we met, spent trying to control? How long have we said, you know, my life would be okay if it wasn't for them? Talk about unmanageability on huh? them. How about my emotions? How about my emotions? I used to think when I was new, wouldn't it be something if we had a PA system hooked directly to our mind? Your every thought is just right out there. There was a time when that idea would have terrified me. I wouldn't mind it now. Because I've changed my mind. Because I've changed my mind. The mindset is the biggest problem I believe we have coming in here. Uh, we, I don't know of anybody that woke up one morning and said, God, it's a beautiful morning, sunshine, and think I'll join it. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't met them. Or, you know, home life's just wonderful. Everybody's doing so well. Think I'll take in one of those Al-Anon meetings. <laughs> that ain't the way we get here. We get here beaten but not surrendered. Sometimes surrendered, but for the most part, Clancy has a great line. He says, you know, we come to this program and we throw in the towel. And a day or two later, we reach in and pull the towel right back. And then we spend the rest of our sobriety tearing off little pieces and throwing that in. <laughs> See, that was actually... <laughs> Is that a good analogy? <laughs> what I'm asking you to do this weekend is forget the little pieces, throw in the towel. What have you got to lose by surrendering to the fact that you're powerless and your life is unmanageable. I'll tell you a few things you got to lose. Anxiety, depression, and anger. Loneliness, sadness, irritability, discontent. To the extent I understand and live and apply step one is to the extent of those other things. The more I do it, the less of those I have. To the point of not having them at all for a long, long time. And then when they come, they're just like birds flying by. You know. My friend Sandy B. has a, he's a, a great, great member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I love his, his sharings because he's an inspiration to me. And he says, you know, we go through life and thoughts go by. He said, we'll grab a thought. <laughs> Got one. And it's a bad thought. Now that's where he stopped. Here's where I take over. And I said, oh, my God, look what I was thinking. How could I think that? God, I'm sober. I'm... Oh, look, look. <laughs> then what else do I do? I go to me and say, look. Mr. <laughs> look, look, no, for three days, I'm love. <laughs> oh, God, how can I do that? And what Sandy says is, if you got a bad idea, put it back and grab a good one. <laughs> 
How often on step one are we going to... <laughs> Grab a good one. I'm here to tell you that's the basis of spirituality. It's no big mystery to me anymore. If I'm having a bad thought, replace it with a good one. Put it back and grab a good one. That's all I have to do. And that's what i got to do with step one. Not only step one, but every step. And I don't know about you, but the longer I'm sober, the more those steps expose themselves. I, when the first time I read the big book, God wasn't mentioned once. And over the years, the big book fairy has come in and put him in about every sentence and paragraph. <laughs> first time I read it, it wasn't mentioned. You know why? Wasn't going to look. Wasn't going to look. I always get chuckles when I hear a new person talking about reality. <laughs> really. Because um, nine out of ten times they have no idea of what reality is. They have a great idea of what their perceptions are. And step one to me says, stop, surrender it all. Let's start again. And if I might be so bold, die of self, begin again. Or, bolder yet, be reborn. Let's start fresh. No matter where you've been, no matter how far you've been, no matter how far down, up, or start fresh. So if we look at step one, and we really say, even at my best, I probably could do better, and surrender it all. I always get tickled when somebody says to me, well, you know, I've had some old behaviors come up. And I say, you know, if you're still doing them, it's not old behavior. It's called current behavior. You know? So what, you know what that is? It's just a little rationalization to pass it off and keep doing it. Pass it off and keep doing it. Oh, step one, well, I don't know about that. Well, you know what? If you don't, you're in real trouble. You're in real trouble. If you've been one of them fortunate enough to come and just glide through and go into meetings and a little activity, and the fellowship is wonderful, but the steps in God are what's going to keep you sober. The steps in God are what's going to give you a life that you wouldn't trade with anybody. See, I was fortunate because when I got here, I pretty much felt that I, I would rather be anybody else any, any other place and live any other time than right now. And through the process of these steps and living it as a way of life, that's gone 180 degrees. I don't know of anybody I trade lives with, and I know some wonderful people, but I also know what I've been given, you know. And it starts with step one: powerless. My life is unmanageable. And you know something? I've been through all our literature several times, and it never says at any given point, "Okay, you can manage it now." <laughs> I assume that you can. Because after all, I did step one. I assume that I can manage it again, but the minute I do, guess what? I'm going backwards. I'm not going forwards. And all of these steps, I believe, are spiritual exercises. People come to me a lot and they say, you know, Ed, uh, something bad happened and I was just surprised at how weak I was spiritually. And I would say to them, well, what spiritual exercises are you doing every day? They went, well, well, I pray from time to time. I said, well, why, is he, why are you surprised you're weak when you're not doing any spiritual exercises? You don't do any physical exercises, guess what? You get weak. Don't expect to run a marathon. So it's very important that we take these spiritual exercises, including step one, and in my opinion, every day. They're applicable. I'm always fascinated when somebody comes to talk to me, and I say, well, what step are you on? And inevitably, inevitably, if they're in deep trouble, they'll be going, well, I'm, uh, I'm kind of doing, um, um, uh, let's see, maybe 10 and uh, a little 3. I said, otherwise, you're on no step. He said, well, I've been through the steps. And I said, where does it say that? Where does it say that, you, you know, you take this for 10 days and your disease will be gone? Take this for 12 steps, your disease will be gone. What it says to me is it's a way of life that has to be practiced daily. So what I tell those people is that you got to get a program. you got to start walking, working one rather than thinking one. You know, because your thinking isn't doing well. And what step are you on? 
If you've been around a while, got a great idea. Twelve months, twelve steps. Hmm. What if you took a step a month and just applied that in your life consciously and not take it for granted, well, I did that. Oh, I've done that. Really. It's not about doing that. It's about living that. And until we make that distinction, I can tell you what happens from my own experience. The same emotions, depressions, and anxieties that came to you in your drinking days will come to you in your sober days. You know, the psychic change has not taken place if I'm not doing the steps. If I do the steps, it guarantees me a psychic change. What does that mean? Change my mind. Change my mind. That through the steps, these steps, I can find the freedom that I've never known, and they have to be pertinent. All everybody says, well, this is my favorite step, this is my favorite step, they're all my favorite steps. Because to my mind, and to my way of life, they are all imperative to my recovery. None is less important than the other. In fact, I will say this to you, the one you think is less important is probably the one you should be working, at least in my experience. Then, you know, right after that we surrender and we start talking about being powerless. God, don't we love that? And we got to surrender and we got to start fresh. Oh, there's a good thought, you know. Let's just throw away everything I've ever done in life. Well, for, for some of us, it's a refreshing idea. But um, now, what are they going to, they're going to talk about you being crazy. You know, it says, came to believe. Now, notice it said, came to believe. I'm going to challenge you this weekend on your, on your belief. I'm, as some of you know, I told you I'm a pastor last night. And it's so funny when people come up to me and say, you know, Ed, I've been a good Christian all my life and I just believe in Jesus. And you know, my son, I'm just worried sick about him. How does that work? I'll say, what do you mean? See, you're a good Christian and you believe in Jesus. That means you have faith. Yeah. Have you prayed about it? Yeah. Why are you worrying? If you pray, why worry? If you worry, why pray? Because we need to keep control. That's why. People of faith can turn it over and go on about their business. So I'm asking you, when it says in step two, came to believe, where are you coming from? Where are you going to? Where are you at in your journey, really? It's so easy to say, oh, yeah, I kind of believe there's a God. And then there's others that profess faith to no end, and you see them breaking every rule they can break. Of course, my answer to that is, thank God they're going to church. At least they got a fighting chance. They're not sitting in some other room gossiping about them. <laughs> you know. But it's true. Oftentimes I'll have people come into the church and when I was at a, a regular church and people would come in and they say, you know, I thought the wall, excuse me, the walls were going to come tumbling down when I walked in. I said, oh, no, no, they got much stronger when you walked in. It's just the way we look at things. Just the way we look at things came to believe in a power greater than ourselves. I am so pleased that it didn't say God at this point, because I would have had to leave. Thank you very much. I told you last night about my ones. My evidence that God was nothing but a jerk out to get me. And when you told me to pray, I said, please, that's radar, baby, and he'll pick me up and zap me. I know it. I ain't praying. Those are all the images I had, so I'm so grateful they said power greater than yourself. Because I had to start where I was at. God, I would have loved to have been where you were. But I had to start where I was at. My talk last night, I told you how I made a mistake. I started out right. I said a God that I could come to believe in is a, a God that's kind and loving and forgiving. Oh, man, that's good stuff. I like that. Because that's 180 degrees from anything I'd ever believed about God. But then the mistake I made, I went beyond my own belief and experience and started using your words and your terms and forgetting my journey. As it says so eloquently in the book, this is a book and a program designed to help you develop a personal relationship with God that will solve your problems. Or problem, it says. Problems to me. So at step two, when we came to believe in a power greater than yourself, make sure that's what it is. And if you're new and if you think it's the group, okay. If you think it's, uh, if you think it's your sponsor, okay. I hear people say, well, they think, they think their sponsor is a rock. 
I say, you know what? They're probably being more honest about their God than you are. Because you're pretending like you got one. You ain't got squat. So it's important that what I come to believe, what is the power greater than myself? Because this is the cornerstone of all other things that I'm building. This is the cornerstone, and if I misplace it, and if I get it in crooked, there's problems later in the structure, I promise you. The nice thing is we can always go back. The wonderful thing about the 12-step program is we can always start at step one again. And by the way, you don't have to drink to do it. You don't have to get divorced to do it. You don't have to choke somebody to do it. You can just say, you know what, I am not comfortable at all, and... Twelve steps tell me I'm supposed to be happy, joyous, and free. I'm starting fresh and getting it right. I would suggest you do that with the sponsor's direction. Here's why. Especially if you're on your step three. Step four may look a little <laughs> a little too weary to get into. So maybe I need to go back to step one. No, you probably need to go on to step four. But that's why sponsorship is so important. But when we talk about a power greater than yourself, what is it? I mean, what do you really believe? If I had a gun to your head and a lie detector hooked to you, and I said, your life depends on what you believe, what would you say? That's the truth. Whatever that is, celebrate it. Even if it's, I got no damned idea. Excellent, good. Now we got a starting spot. Now we can move ahead. But I, until I acknowledge where I'm at, I can't grow anywhere else. You know, they used to say years ago in the well, was seventies and eighties, grow where you're planted. It was really profound. Because that's the only way your relationship with God or a power greater than yourself. And for me, for a long time it was a power greater than yourself, because to say God would put a knot in my gut. And you know, for a long time it was higher power. Now it's Hewlett Packard, you know, but back then it was I always get a kick when I see their commercials. But eventually I was comfortable enough to take the, to take the uh, abbreviation away and just call God, God. But I'm grateful for every step of that journey I took. You know why? It's mine now. You can't tell me what I think. You can't tell me what I feel as far as my God's concerned. You can share with me some things you've been through and maybe improve my relationship. But you can't destroy my relationship because it's my relationship. And if we don't take time to build that relationship going in, our sobriety is going to be askew at best. And you're going to have that sense of, I'm missing something here. I'm missing something here. Usually what it is is the relationship with God. Now, it's very easy to do because in this day and age, I have gone to meetings where God isn't even mentioned. Issues and boundaries, all that other stuff's mentioned. None of which is in our 12 steps. It's in the other 12 steps, not in our 12 steps. Has nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous. In fact, I almost believe that a lot of people's higher power is their therapist anymore. I sit in meetings and hear people say, you know, I couldn't live without my therapist. (laughs) To me, that's just as bad as saying, I couldn't live without my pastor. Really? Then you got another sick dependency going on. You better look at it. You know? You better look at it. We gotta be when in thinking about who is my higher power? Is it helpful? Is it not helpful? There again, I'm not saying anything derogatory about therapists. Therapy has helped a lot of people and continues to help a lot of people in AA. Uh, the problem is when those individuals put more on the therapist than they even want. And they become their reason for breathing. And they're, they're going to be their third step next Thursday at 2 o'clock. That's when it gets to be a problem. And it doesn't get to be a problem with them because if you blow your brains out, they probably don't even do a follow-up. They're too busy. Doctors and therapists have lines of people saying, what about me? What about me? What about me? I have yet to meet a doctor and, or, or, or a therapist who does any follow-up, especially on alcoholics that they put on medication. Once you quit calling for appointments, you don't exist anymore. So they have no idea of the reality of what's going on. So I'm going to say to you that when you talk about a power greater than yourself, make sure it's something that's healthy. 
Something's freeing. Something that doesn't make you dependent. My first higher power was Big John. Big John used to pick me up and take me to meetings. And not that I was afraid of Big John, because he wasn't that big. He was only like 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, <laughs> I love these guys, these six-one guys, 200 pounds, wearing big dog t-shirts. I say, you're a pup. You ain't even a dog. <laughs> take that shirt off. <laughs> but Big John... Why was he a power greater than myself? He'd magically appear at my door and take me to meetings. And when he'd drive home, we'd sit, John, I told you his size, you see my size. We would sit in his 1962 four, a two-door Corvair Monza <laughs> and talk. Yeah, John, what do you think? <laughs> but he was wonderful to me because he was showing me how to do things I had no idea how to do. I remember one time we walked out of a meeting, somebody said something bad to John, so I kicked in their window and I jerked him out of the window. I threw him up against the tree and I was going to take him out. John said, no, 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 Ed. And I said, well, he insulted you. He said, we don't do that. And I asked, oh, okay. <laughs> Made my amends and paid for the window. I don't know, you know. But he was a power great. He would tell me and show me how to do things I had no comprehension on how to do. I had a comprehension on how to do it, but they were all wrong for the most part especially for me emotionally and spiritually. I had gathered all this negative information on how to live life and how to relate to people and how to believe in a God or not believe in a God. And that was ever most of my mind. So Big John, I came to believe in Big John. You know why? If he said 6.30, I'll pick you up. At 6.30, he's out there. No question. After my father was murdered, every morning at 7 o'clock when I left for work, you know where Big John was? Happened to be right outside my house, reading his paper, and I'd come out and he'd go. He made a believer out of me. What we say and what we do counts a great deal. I remember one time my sponsor, after Clancy became my sponsor, he said, Well, Ed, do you want to go with me to talk someplace? Because he talks literally every night of the week, sometimes two and three times a day. And I said, Sure. He said, Be at my house at 630 p.m. I said, okay. I got there about 6.31 and I smelled exhaust fumes. And, what was <laughs> and I called in the next day. I said, hi, class. I said, you know, I was there. Uh, you were gone. He said, uh, you weren't there at 6.30. I said, well, I was there at 6.31, 6.32. He said, that's what I said. I said, 6.30, didn't I? And I went, oh, come on. He said, don't know, come on me. If I was a newcomer waiting for you to take me to a meeting, that would have been enough to say, see, they don't even tell the truth. It's important what we say and do. When we say we're going to be someplace, do it. We are responsible. You know, we're responsible for the, the the reflection we send of this program. And if you're one of those who think that this is a social deal, God, I hope you get over that pretty quick. Otherwise, you won't be around long anyway. You know. What this is is a way of life. What this is is something that we commit to, to our innermost selves, to be the best people we can ever, beyond what I ever dreamed of being, beyond. So John was my first power greater than myself. Then the group, because there was times when John couldn't be there. He was an undertaker, so he had business from time to time. <laughs> he kept me sober for a long time. He used to say, how tall are you, Ed? <laughs> And at that time, I was 6'11". I said, 6'11"? Why? He said, you know, the standard coffin's only 6'3". <laughs> I said, what do you mean by that? He said, oh, chop, chop. <laughs> that AA love in the early days that kept me here. He said, we either chop them off or we break them and fold them in. And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> I don't want to be walking around heaven like that if I get there. Oh, hell, for that matter, a little closer to the flame, you know. But John, I came to believe in John, and then I came to believe in the, the group, because when John wasn't there, you know what? Holiday, no holiday, rain, snow, somebody was always there. Always there. In the last ten years, I started hearing about people that don't have meetings because of bad weather. Really? 
how long would that keep you from drinking? You know? Or on a holiday because of family. You're like me, if it wasn't for AA, you wouldn't have a family. Is it really that bad to go give an hour back? You know? And eventually I worked uh, on a power greater than myself because the next step demands that I know, because you know what it's asking you to do? Made a decision to turn our will and our life. Just take a minute and think about that. Will and our life. What more is there? How many of you have done it? How many of you have said you've done it? You bet. Will and life. That's everything that we are about. Everything that we live. The job. The co-workers. You know, a lot of people say to me, you know, the toughest place to work is programs at home. That's a load of crap. It's the last place you ever attempted. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, we're too busy trying to impress the people in meetings. Oh, living in the day time, <laughs> everything's good. Yeah. We go home and kick the dog and cuss out the wife or the husband and, and be the same jerk we've always been. No, no, no. It's not the toughest place. It's just the last place, unfortunately. Have you turned that over to God, your home life? your situations. You know, it's asking you to turn everything over. Even your emotions, your will, and what you think. Everything. I'm going to read you something that fascinated me a while back. Uh, my home group's a big book study group. We meet every night, uh, every Tuesday night in Davenport, Iowa at 6 to 7 p.m. And I would invite you there, but I like the group small, so... <laughs> But if you're ever there, come on by. It'd be good to see you. And uh, we go through the first 164 pages, but we also include the forewords in the doctor's opinion. And uh, it only took us four years and four months to get through it the first time. You know why? There's far too much information here. This isn't Bill Wilson's brilliance that's in this book. It's God hadn't feeding us everything we'd ever need, in my opinion. To this day, when I read it, it tells me something new. I'm not a big-time big-book quoter, simply because by the time I got to quote it, it's old news. <laughs> if I think I need to quote that, I'll get your number, go back and read it, see if it says the same thing, promise you it won't, and then I'll share that with you. <laughs> but I'm always sharing yesterday's recovery. You know, it's like you can't stay sober on who you helped yesterday. You can't stay sober on the prayers you said yesterday. Just can't. But on page 62 of the big book is just profound to me. It says, Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our problems. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation. But invariably we find at some point in the past we have made decisions based on self that have later put us in the position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. I'll read that again. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. The alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run right. I'm sure many of you have read this. And later it says, this is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God is to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father. We are his children. Most ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone from which a new and triumphant arc through which we passed to freedom. I love this one. When we sincerely, underline, sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer being all-powerful. doesn't say having little power. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed, but there's an if. If we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such footing, we became less and less interested in our lives, ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, 
or the hereafter. We were reborn. That's the big book. Now I read all that. To read you the next sentence. We were now at step three. That's all work to be done in two. The understanding, the selfishness, self-centeredness. That's the only way you can be ready for three is if you get rid of that selfish, self-centeredness. And if you understand that we're the root of the problems. How can you turn your will and your life over to the care of God if you don't understand these basics? What you're doing is what a lot of us did. Give him enough to satisfy him for a little while. Are you praying? Yeah, yeah, I'm praying. I'm praying. What are you praying? I pray he gets exactly what he deserves. That's what I'm praying, you know. (laughs) When we talk about step three, they are dead serious. And I will ask you, I will ask you, how have you done on step two? How have you done on preparation of step three? Now, the saving grace is most of us have a good excuse. We were new, and when I was new, they used to have a great line that I loved. They said, you know what? Wait for 90 days to get your brains out of hock. You know, for the fog to lift. God, what great information. Now they ship you out of treatment centers and say stupid things like, you know, now that you've been through treatment, you got the equivalent of two to three years in A and A. What they tell them that? They tell them that. What a lie. You know how you get two to three equivalent years of AA? About two to three years in AA. That's how you get that. So in 30 days, they're thinking, I've done one through five. And we can't hold them accountable. But what we can do is when they come into these rooms, we can, rem- we can take them through the book and take them through the steps and show them what's really there. See, people can't charge for AA. That's why all the other therapies had to be brought in. I don't know about up here, but down in Iowa, in treatment, they are not allowed anymore to mention AA or God. Oh, it's coming if it isn't here. In fact, I know it's here. But it's coming. Because we're no longer helpful to the experts. And last night I said something about the professionals. And a a lady came up to me who is a professional, and I'm glad she did. She does a lot of good work. Please understand that I I, I paint that with a broad broad brush because simply because it's been my experience that that's what's applicable. But there are individuals in every profession that understand alcoholism and addiction and this disease that we're dealing with, this spiritual disease that we're dealing with. Uh, But most of them don't. Uh, now in the medical universities, they're back down to giving the same education they gave 40 years ago on alcoholism, one to two hours, that's it. And what they're taught to do is dual diagnose so the insurance companies will pay them. That's the truth. Uh, that's just the truth. Change happened about 15 years ago. I watched it happen. I watched a hospital that was totally chemically free uh, when an insurance company, major insurance company, said we'll no longer pay just for a uh, addiction, there has to be another diagnosable condition. At that time, they had an A meeting every Saturday night where over 300 people attended. They have no meeting anymore. There isn't enough for a meeting anymore. Because they started dual diagnosing and saying, no, this won't hurt you. Yeah, we know last month we told you it would. This month we're telling you, no, it won't. And it does. What do I mean by that? I mean that in order for me to grow spiritually, I have to be in touch with what's going on. If I'm going to work step two and be restored to sanity, I need to be restored to sanity, not mask over and I'll deal with it later. You know, In certain cases, uh, mood alters are, are, are needed. There's just no question about that. And please understand, I'm not talking about your heart medication. I'm not talking about your blood pressure medication. I'm not talking about your epilepsy unless your epilepsy was diagnosed before you got sober. You might be surprised now if you go to the doctor and get reevaluated and get off that maybe you don't need it anymore. Chances are you don't. But that's between you and your doctor. You go and you talk to your doctor about that. And any form of medication that you might be on, don't make the brilliant move of I'm just going to quit it. That's crazy. Especially if you've been on it for a while. What you might do is go to your doctor and you say, you know, I really want to try to get more depth in this. I want to, would like you to wean me off this. You know, you can always go back on. 
and just see. Now, some people say to me, well, what if they get suicidal? In 35 years I've been around, I've met a high estimate of seven people who've committed suicide while they're trying to stay sober. I cannot count the number of people I've been buried that took the other way. Can't count them. Can't count them. And as a pastor, when you're sitting there doing the service, you just want to scream one more time because they convinced them, oh, this won't hurt you. They don't know what they're talking about. We're the experts. We do know what we're talking about. They aren't the experts. This is the program that started changing the world of addiction. And it's the program that continues to if that program is applied. There again, when we're into step three, it doesn't say turn my will and my life over to the care of God in Prozac. It says over to the, the care of God. The care of God. And some people rush, well, it's just the care. It means I still got to do it. <laughs> I don't think so. I think when I turn my will in my life, I surrender it all. One day at a time, thank God. One day at a time, thank God. Just for today, surrender it all. See what happens. First time you try that, you know what's going to happen. You're going to be a nervous wreck all day. Well, what if he isn't paying attention? You know, what if he... I love the people who say, you know, I went to a meeting today and God's testing me. That's right. He stops the entire world just to screw around with your day. That's right. You're just that important. Yeah, you really are. No, life tests me. Life tests me all the time. My old ideas test me all the time. But my God never tests me. But he watches I'm being tested. And he's given me a way out. I can either do it or not. The choice is mine. The choice is mine. Now, when you talk about step three and you talk about God, man, when you talk about God, what I want you to do is take a minute and throw away any old ideas that you have. A lot of you have pads, and those of you who don't, I want you just to take a minute, and I want you to create a God that you can believe in. There again, gun held to your head, lie detector. Do you believe this? Your life depends on it. Write down on your pad some of the characteristics of a God that you could really believe in this moment or make a mental list. Take a minute, close your eyes and do that. It's important work. And there's no right or wrong, wrong size of list. There isn't any correct number or incorrect number. This is your list. Could just be one word. And it's not a test. There's no pass or fail. It's your word. It's your concept. Okay, anybody want to share something they wrote down? Just a little piece of it? Oh, don't all jump forward. <laughs> Okay, very good. Anybody else? Loving, caring, forgiving, accepting, all-knowing, and understanding. Good. Anybody else? Merciful, forgiving. Okay. Plugs in. Plugs in. Very good. I like that, yeah. Any else? Not that I like them all. Anybody else? Come on. Benevolent. Benevolent? Good. Thank God it says you understand him. <laughs> no, but <laughs> if that's your God, I hope it's a winning season. But anybody else? Sober. Sober, okay. Funny. Funny, very important. Man, if we can't learn to laugh at ourselves, forget it. If you take your program so seriously you can't laugh, then you've got a new God and it has nothing to do with anybody outside of you. Have you noticed we got a room of people here that probably at one time didn't believe much at all and all that was said was positive comments? I'm going to share something with you that I absolutely believe with every fiber of my being. There was a wonderful man around years ago named Chuck C. And Chuck was my mentor. He used to sit and Chuck taught me about God by the way he lived. Oh, he taught me wonderful things by what he said, but I watched him. And one of the things he used to say to me is, Eddie, what you came here looking for, you're looking with. What you came here looking for, you're looking with. 
What does that mean? What it means is everything I ever wanted to be, I already am. And these steps are a way to bring it out. The way I lived life brought out the worst in me. The way I've learned to live life brings out the best in me. And you know, we always hear, well, when you point a finger at somebody else, there's three pointing back at you. Have you heard that one? Do you know that's about the good stuff too? We always take it in a negative connotation. It's about the good stuff. If you see something that really moves you and lifts you and just touches your soul and you say, oh, I wish I could be that way, you are or you couldn't have identified it. What you came here looking for, you're looking with. Everything you ever wanted to be, you are. The difference is the actions we take and the way we think about faith, about God, about life, about everything. Those of you who wrote down your God, next time you pray, I challenge you to bring that image to mind. Connect with that God that you understand. And don't put any boundaries on it. Let it grow. Let it lift. See where it goes. But for some of you, I'm sure for the first time in your life, you're on solid ground with a power greater than yourself. And you know, the nice thing about step three, too, is you can take it any time you want to take it. I don't know that you can take it enough. And each time you take it, you're going to grow. And each time you take it, you're going to learn a new sense of healing and a sense of being. At least that's been my experience. Step three in the break, I challenge some of you to go for a walk and do two things. Stop hating yourself. It hasn't worked even before you got sober. And even start to consider the possibility of taking your own hate and self-loathing and giving that to God, too. That's my challenge for break. Are we at break time? We got uh, four more minutes, but I'm going to give you four extra. Thank you very much. (laughs) 